Well, friends, uh, they are called uh, God's earthly messengers, but a prophet is, uh, is much more than just a messenger. A prophet is entrusted with the task of delivering God's word to the people. And those words that a prophet uses, they, there's a wide range of words. They can range from consuming fire to everlasting love. But one thing is for sure, a prophet is not just a mouthpiece, but a person. A prophet is not just an instrument, but a partner. Think of it as an associate of God. So how do we capture the prophet Amos? Well, I want you to envision with me a kind of radical hippie from the 60s, the 760s BC, that is. Eyes flashing, tongue lashing, and words a slashing. Amos actually began his career as a shepherd from Judah, which is the southern kingdom, and in a community on the northwest shore of the Dead Sea in the town of Tekoa, which is about 15 miles south of Jerusalem. Business sort of forced him to cross the border from Judah, the southern kingdom, into Israel, the northern kingdom. And even though this was during a period of what's called the three Ps, peace, prosperity, and patriotism, God did not like what he saw. And so he gave Amos words that the people needed to hear. And that leads us to our first scripture reading from the book of Amos, chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, says the Lord God, the God of hosts. On the day I punish Israel for its transgressions, I will punish the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will tear down the winter house as well as the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall come to an end, says the Lord. I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of the well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice fall down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so very much for meeting us here this morning, for meeting us here in the music and in the fellowship and greeting time and in our prayer time. God, we know that you desire to draw us close and we know that we need to draw close to you as well. Your words are life. And oh, as we look around the world, we need new life and we need it now. As we receive this message that you have for us, grant us sharp minds, ready ears, and a teachable spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, uh, while he was in office, uh, President Richard Nixon would attend Sunday services at various churches around the Washington, D.C. area. But in the 1970s, as the rather unpopular war in Vietnam was escalating, people had very strong opinions about that war needing to come to an end and to bring our troops back home safely. 
And when President Nixon would make his way to these various worship services on these Sundays in the D.C. area, ministers would take the opportunity to express their opinions, often in opposition to the administration's current policy. Well, this uh, irritated President Nixon, and so he decided it was a time for a different approach. He actually began to hold services in the East Room of the White House. Ministers were carefully handpicked that only those who supported his positions were then invited to come and speak. Well, it's pretty easy, I think, to pick on Richard Nixon, but the truth is we are a lot like him. We're not necessarily interested in hearing voices that challenge our thinking, disrupt our comfortable living, and interrupt our way of life. This morning, we are looking at the words from the prophet Amos. I'm continuing my sermon series on majoring in the minors, the 12 minor prophets of the Old Testament. Last week, we looked at the prophet Joel on Pentecost. Today, we're looking at the prophet Amos, who is going to share with us God's standard for our lives of faith. So my goal in just a couple minutes that we have here is not to moralize or try to establish a fixed set of rules and give you a list of do's and don'ts that you have to follow. Don't want to do that. The challenge, I think, is for all of us to sort of see anew and afresh a standard of faith that God has set forth for us in his word and then to measure ourselves against that standard. So... Around 1000 BC, Israel was flying high and fancy free on the reign of King David. They were on the brink of paradise, but then Israel split apart. If you're wondering what happened, we get a hint from the words of Amos. Amos, like all the prophets that we're gonna be looking at, sort of shouted from their megaphone, Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. What you need to know is that Amos prophesied during this downward slide of Israel into this abyss of injustice, ignorance, and neglect. And what he's in essence saying, he says, people, open your eyes. It's as plain as the nose on your face. Look around you. Look what's happening. There's hunger. There's homelessness. There's helplessness. There's hopelessness. All of this is happening on the streets of your city. Amos cried out, sin is the stench of humanity in the nostrils of God. In other words, what he's saying is (laughs) sin is not just some kind of inner discomfort that I'm feeling like uh, aware of a pair of uh, ill-fitting jeans or or shoes that just don't feel right. He says sin is the objective evil that is measured in the actions or, in this case, the inactions of people. So Amos wrote, Behold, the eyes of the Lord are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will obliterate it from the surface of the earth. So Israel sort of spiraled downward because they had separated their religious faith from any kind of a social conscience. Love the story is told of a teacher who was in her classroom and she was walking over to a whiteboard and she got the marker and she wrote the letters A-P-A-T-H-Y, apathy. And she said, now, Billy, 
what does the word apathy mean? Billy looked up and casually said, I don't know, and I don't care. <laughs> and the teacher said, exactly, exactly. Israel had this look-the-other-way attitude. The late Christian writer Dorothy Sayers, in talking about apathy, says that apathy is the sin that believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, enjoys nothing, loves nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and remains alive only because it has found nothing for which it is willing to die. Israel's chief problem was that they just didn't care about the poor and the downtrodden and the oppressed and the marginalized. And you know what, friends? Neither do we. Did you know that even though we are the richest nation in the world, we rank 50th behind even some third world countries in infant mortality? Did you know that 1.2 billion people live in extreme poverty on less than a dollar and a quarter a day, and that 2.6 million children die every year from hunger-related causes? Did you know that the life expectancy of a male baby born in the Czech Republic is longer than one born in Harlem? Did you know that 15,000 children under the age of five die every day from curable diseases like pneumonia, malnutrition, and malaria. So, how does that make you feel? Upset? Angry? Or are you just one of those dry-eyed realists who say, hey, that's life in the big city? I heard the story of a traffic officer in Los Angeles, California, who ticketed a car that had a dead man sitting behind the steering wheel. The officer didn't notice that as he reached his hand through the open window of that car and placed the ticket on the dashboard and then drove off, that the man sitting behind the steering wheel was in fact dead. Well, maybe the only response to this world is to do what the Amish do with their horses that pull those buggies, to, to put blinders on, to not see what's going on, to not stop, to keep on moving and to not care a lick. I don't think the prophet Amos would agree. Amos says there's only one contact lens through which we see the world clearly, and that is a tear. So Amos cried. He cried for the poor. He cried for the widows. He cried for the orphans. He said there's nothing more offensive to God than religiosity separated, divorced, from a faith that backs it up. The singer uh, Don Francisco, I think, sums up the message of Amos for us as a church today. He sings, I don't care how many buses you own or the size of your sanctuary. It don't matter how steep your steeple if it's sitting on a cemetery. I don't care if you pave your parking lot or pad your pews. What good is a picture-perfect stage if you're missing all the cues? I don't care if you pray for miracles. I don't care if you speak in tongues. I don't care if you say you love me in every song you've sung. I don't care if your pastor's superpowered or your programs are brand new. What you need is love and truth, and all will come to you. It don't matter if you know the Bible, if it's all just in your head. 
The thing you need to ask is, have you done the things I've said? Do you love your wife? For her and your children, are you laying down your life? What about others? Are you living in service to your sisters and your brothers? Do you make the poor one beg you for a bone? Do the widow and the orphan cry alone? Lord, when were you a prisoner and we not come to you? When was it we saw you sick and didn't follow through? Every time you turned your head and pretend you did not see, when you did it not to the least of these, you did it not to me. Amos says, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. At the National Mall in Washington, D.C. is the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial. And engraved on a granite wall is his well-known paraphrase from Amos chapter 5, 24, which Lucy read earlier. Until justice runs down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. As the designer of that monument said, this is not a monument to suffering. It is a memorial to hope. Well, from Martin Luther King Jr. in Alabama in 1955 to our young people here at Chestnut Level in 2022, we want to share with you a couple of interviews that we did this past week with our youth, with their young adults on this particular subject matter. So we're going to show you on the screen and dim the lights and let you hear from some of our young people. Here with Renee today. Hey, Renee. Hey. Renee, we're talking about the prophets of the Old Testament and Amos and how he spoke out against the people's mistreatment and neglect of the poor, the marginalized. Um, how does that strike you, people who don't have a place to eat or food to eat or a place to sleep? What, what is that? How do you feel about that? I feel like it's really sad that some people just can't get the same things as everyone else, and I feel like that should be like fixed. How do you think God feels about it? Does, I, does God care for folks who are sort of under the gun and, and going through hard things? I feel like God might even care for them the most. He might, because he's relating, kind of. Like, everyone struggles, and he's going to be there for them when they struggle. As a church, what do you think we can do about that? Are there some things we can do to help those who are you know, going through tough times? Yeah, I really think we could, like, work on, as a church, I guess, like, affordable housing. We could, like, do missions trips to, like, work on building affordable housing and stuff like that. Really just, like, helping them grow, maybe, like, volunteering with the food bank and stuff like that. Great, thanks. Here with Ryan. Ryan um, talking about Amos, and Amos really uh, came down hard on the people of Israel because of their neglect and mistreatment of the poor. So how does that strike you for people who maybe don't have a place to lay their head, food, enough food to eat? Well, I think that's uh, really sad that uh, we're one of the most rich countries uh, on the planet. Yet we have uh, such a large homeless population. Um, it's just inflation and people can't afford housing and all kinds of stuff. What do you think God feels? How do you think God uh, uh, handles it? Or, or does God care about people who may be going through hard times, going through a tough stretch? I think he wants people to go through hard times because he wouldn't give us hard times if he didn't think we would be able to handle it. So it's kind of like character development, if you will. 
and people who are going through hard times, what, how do we respond as a church? Do we do anything about it? Do we just say, hey, that's the way it goes? What do you, what do you think are some things we could do? Um, maybe like a food drive or give them food, blankets, clothes, tents, ask them what they need, yeah. assistance. So take some steps to help people who are kind of going through a tough time. Thanks, Ryan. Yep. Sure. One. Well, everybody. Hey, Drew, thanks for coming in for a couple of minutes. Um, talking about Amos this Sunday um, and how he came down really hard on the people of Israel because they mistreated the, the poor and the needy and those who are going through a hard time. So what does that sound like for you if you know that people maybe don't have enough food to eat or don't have a place to lay down to sleep at night? I think they think of guilt, sadness, all those things. Yeah, it's kind of heartbreaking yeah. too, is it, isn't it? Yeah. And how about God? What do you think? Do you think God has a heart for the poor? Do you think God cares if people are going through tough patches in their life? I think he cares enough for us to help them. Mm. Well, that, that's a great um, transition to well, it's my last question. That is, what are some of the things you think we could do to help folks who are kind of going through a tough spell? I think we could donate our time to volunteer at food banks, homeless shelters. Great. Well, thanks uh, for giving me a couple minutes. Mm -hmm. My thanks to the youth who participated in our little uh, person on the street interviews. Uh, friends, there's no uh, doubting that the uh, problems in this world are, are enormous. They're, they're just huge. And the crises that are around us are, are immense. They, they, they almost threaten to overwhelm us, to, to swallow us up, to engulf us. And we look around, there's problems in this country and in this state and, and just about everywhere we look. And I think sometimes what happens is we sort of reflect and say, well, what, what, what can I do about it? It's just me. What can one person do? It would be like, how much change would occur if I would just take an eyedropper and put some water in the ocean? What, what good would that do? And then I found this quote this week from Blaise Pascal, who said, do small things as though they were great because of Jesus Christ and do great things as though they were small because of Jesus Christ. And Jesus gave us this model on how to handle the vast problems of this world, to, to do it as he did it, one person at a time, in one place at a time, and in one moment at a time. And so we should never get too, too discouraged, even though the problems seem so massive. At the church that I served, in Greensboro, North Carolina, before I came here, we were being overwhelmed and engulfed with some of the needs that were around us as people were looking to the church for help, specifically for food. And we didn't have a food pantry, and there really wasn't one that close to us, especially in that emergency kind of context. And so we decided to invest in buying some McDonald's gift certificates to help the poor, the hungry, and the needy. And so when a poor person came to the church asking for money, rather than give them cash, which then could be used for drugs or alcohol or even worse, we gave them a McDonald's gift certificate, which could only be redeemed for food. So imagine that. Even a happy meal has eternal significance because of the church of Jesus Christ. It may not seem like much, 
But I think what the world needs today are small-scale models of faith and hope and love. And so, friends, as I close, in reaching out to the lost and the last and the lonely, in taking very seriously the words from the prophet Amos, chestnut-level Presbyterian church, we can be a model of faith and hope and love as we reach out to the community around us and the world to which God has made. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Lord God, of all the unforgettable characters that you introduce us to in your word, probably none of them quite upset us as much as the prophets. These eccentric fireballs so committed to you, they did not know one bit about what it meant to be politically correct. The only thing that mattered to them was to be faithfully correct in your eyes. And so they spoke out. They spoke out boldly, unabashedly, unashamedly, without any fear of taking on the world around them. Now, God, if we're honest, we confess that we're a lot like Israel. We don't like words that say repent, obey, surrender, submit. Rather, we're more comfortable with words like indulge, look the other way, see no evil, hassle-free. And finally, O oh God, give us ears to hear the words of Amos who call us from our lives of complacency to conviction, from our couch of comfort to the very foot of the cross, from worldliness to Christ's likeness in all that we say and do. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.